Good evening, Elizabeth Chapel Church family. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's good to to be with you. We're going to begin a series in the next uh, several weeks. We'll be doing this on America at Risk. You can see behind me right here this uh, American flag with the cross in it, uh, a little decorative item that uh, Justin and Kendra gave me just a few weeks ago as a memento. They uh, shared that with me and wrote a beautiful note on the back how much they appreciate our church and the ministry of our church and, and all that, uh, that we all mean to them. And that got my wheels turning because I began to think a lot about uh, America. Here we are uh, celebrating uh, the 4th of July, and, and I tell you, there's just a lot to be thankful for in our nation and in our country. We love this country. We love what we stand for, uh, the American flag, and I like the cross that's in the middle of that flag. One of the things we're going to be doing in this Wednesday night study, our theme is going to be America at Risk. Now, there's a lot of things going on in our country right now, and there's a lot that Scripture, the Bible, has to say about what's taking place uh, in our world, in our country, and I want to just delve in a little bit to Scripture and, and look at some of these things. There will be three parts to, to this series. Uh, the first one tonight, uh, next Wednesday night, and the Wednesday night following. Each time, each session is going to be separate and independent, standing on its own. Tonight, we're going to be looking at how Scripture interprets history. We'll get there in just a moment. Next Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we'll be in our second session looking at Scripture predicts history. And then the third session will be three weeks or two weeks from tonight. Uh, Scripture describes people who will shape and impact history. We're going to be looking at all of these things. Well, I want to begin tonight. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It'll be a few moments before we get to the Scripture. But we're going to be looking at something in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. So if you'll turn there in your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We'll, we'll read some Scripture in a moment. But I just sort of want to review a little bit for a minute as we get started about American history. There's a lot that's written. There's a lot that's said. You know, there are attempts nowadays to sort of rewrite history and rewrite American history and, and all of those kind of things. But some of, the, some of the facts that we just want to nail down tonight are very, very simple. The first one is this. 51 of the 55 founding fathers of our nation attended church. Now, they weren't Baptist churches, but they were affiliated with faith, belief in God and trusting in Him. And some of the basic Christian beliefs 
that our founding fathers held. I'm going to give you three. Now, all of these 51 ascribed to these three personal beliefs that I'm going to share with you for a moment. One of them, the first one was a personal belief in God. The second was a personal belief in prayer. The third, a personal belief in the Bible. Now listen, when you and I think about our great nation and this country in which we live, there was our founding fathers as they began and America got its start. We believe in God, we believe in prayer, we believe in the Bible. Now folks, you don't have to look far around Washington, D.C. to see these basic beliefs that our nation was founded upon becomes very, very apparent. The the Supreme Court building itself uh, at the east entrance contains some reference to the Ten Commandments. All through Washington, D.C., many of the monuments are are etched in Scripture, Scripture inscribed on different places around our nation's capital. So it was very, very apparent at the beginning of our nation that there there was a focus, there, there was going to be a reason that God would bless America. And the reason was that we were depending upon Him looking to Him. We believed in Him. We believed in prayer. We believed that God could shape and change history as we prayed and believed in Him. And we believed and put our faith and trust in the Word of God. Friend, that separates America from most of the nations around the world in how their foundation was laid and they began. America was founded on belief in the Ten Commandments. Again, when you're in Washington, D.C. and you look around and you study history, you see this evidence all around. Now, here's what's key. The Ten Commandments are God's moral law for any Judeo-Christian nation. To be a Judeo-Christian nation, you're going to have to say that the Ten Commandments, God's moral law, is a great part of our foundation. That's, That's what we believe. God has told us as a people how to morally live our life. And so that's very, very important. We're in a time right now in our nation's history where we're dealing with a pandemic. My friend, the pandemic, we talk about that. We look at the the rebellion across our nation that currently is taking place as folks are just rebelling against established God's law and God's direction. Uh, There's also something else taking place in our nation that I believe is going to be in the future our greatest risk as a nation. More than the pandemic, more than the rebellion that we see many times taking place in our nation, 
But there's going to be a great attempt to redefine the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that a man is saved? How is it a person goes to heaven? I believe there's going to be a time in our near future where the gospel of Jesus, the word of God, what is preached from the pulpit is going to be greatly challenged not only in the legal system but by the threats of those that want to sort of change how America is and how America functions and what's important in our great nation. You think about this pandemic. Do we realize, friend, as many folks as have died during this pandemic, and one death is one too many. But do we realize that while this pandemic now is some four or five months in the making in our country and all of the media and everybody's focused in on what are we going to do? Are we going to have school, not have school? Is sports going to be canceled now for the fall? And all of these questions. But do you realize, friend, there have been little innocent babies, children, aborted Every hour of every day, of every week, of every month, and we hear nothing about the innocent lives that are being taken in our country. Listen to me, friend. God is not happy about that. We see in the Scripture, God judges the nations that cast off the innocent, the babies, the children. He judged Egypt during the days of Moses and ten plagues came upon those people. We're now having a plague of our own called COVID-19. My friend, don't you think for a moment we can pray and God lift that from us until we acknowledge before Him our sins as a people and as a nation taking innocent lives of children and babies who no one wants to stand up and defend. This pandemic is taking place. We see during the time of Jesus, Herod brought about a killing of children trying to get Jesus and put him to death. Well, in Egypt, back to Egypt for a moment, Egypt was destroyed and Israel, Jerusalem, was defeated. Nero burned down the city in July of 64 A.D. My friend, listen to me. God will not spare the nation. He will not spare the people who defy Him and His sanctity of life that He gives every person living and breathing the air in that nation. Yes, we'll see this redefining of the gospel. Mark my words before everything is settled in the United States of America. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. I want us to talk for just a moment about how Scripture interprets history. 2 Thessalonians, Paul was writing and he was talking about the Antichrist who was going to come. 
He was talking about the end of time. I don't think we're quite there yet, but we're getting close. But there's something in this passage that, that we need to take note of. Paul is writing and he's saying, listen, Jesus has not come yet. The church has not been raptured yet. Before all of this is going to take place, Paul says, there is going to be something happen that you can see right before your eyes. And I'll just summarize. It's going to be a, a spirit of lawlessness that just sweeps through the nations, sweeps through the land, sweeps through the kingdoms of this world, a, a lawlessness that's going to take place. Listen to verse number 6 and number 7 for a moment. And now you know what is restraining that he might be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He, only he who now restrains, will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, notice for a moment in this passage of Scripture we're looking at. He is saying that there is going to be something in this world that restrains lawlessness and keeps lawlessness at bay, keeps it under control. There's always going to be crime. There will always be people who do not follow or respect the Ten Commandments. There will always be those that do not respect others, that want to take other people's lives and all of those things that go on. All of that's been with us since the beginning of creation back in Genesis 4 when Cain committed the first murder and killed Abel, his brother. That's always been here. But the scripture is telling us that there is something that keeps this lawlessness in any nation, in, in the world, keeps it at bay to a certain extent. And what Paul is saying is near the end of time, as Jesus begins to prepare to return, there is going to come a time that that which restrains lawlessness will be lifted. It will be removed. And man, the devil is going to run amok. He's going to run through the land and he is going to wreak havoc as we have never seen before. In this scripture, I want to ask a question of it a moment, and I want you to think with me for a moment. What is it in this passage that Paul is alluding to that is restraining lawlessness? Well, I will say this to you. Evidently, the Thessalonians knew what that was because he did not mention specifically what it was. So they must have had a knowledge about it. They must have known something about it. But as we look at it, there are several interpretations because we're not exactly sure what it is that withholds and restrains the devil and his demons and lawlessness in this world as we know it today. Some have suggested that it's the church. That as long as the church is present in the world, lawlessness will be held down and held at bay because Jesus someday will rapture the church. And when he raptures the church, man, all hell is going to break loose on planet earth. Well, that, that's, 
That could be what he's referring to here. But there's some other things as well. Uh, some think it's the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is restraining lawlessness. And one day, the Holy Spirit, when the church is taken out and the Holy Spirit is removed in the believers and they go back to days like it was before Pentecost, that maybe the Holy Spirit is restraining. So maybe the church, maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe both. We do know that what is restraining evil in the world today is the power of God. So we know that part. But John MacArthur, he gives those two views, but he also offers another view. And I think John MacArthur leans toward this view that it's the government that is restraining lawlessness in the world today, in a culture. He may be on to something there, friend. Because you see, Romans chapter 13 tells us that God gives us government. It doesn't say God gives us good government or bad government. Because there were times in Paul's day the government was not very good. There are times in our day that we don't think the government does a very good job and sometimes we don't think the laws do a very good job. And I'll tell you, the law that protects innocent children, it's, it's of no value because it doesn't protect those unborn babies now, does it? But needless to say, whether the law does a good job or not so good job, Romans 13 says that that government is an extension of God to quell lawlessness in a society. You read Romans 13 when you get a chance. It talks about government holding back evil. It talks about the need for the Ten Commandments, God's moral law to govern a people and, and govern a society. It also talks about God's love. That there is no commandment at all greater than the commandment to love God and to love each other. My friend, let me encourage you in these days in which we're doing this study to do an inventory in your own personal heart and life to make sure, first of all, that the love of God is deep down in your soul. That you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And He's cleansed you and forgiven you of your sin. And God has implanted His divine love in your heart. And with that, then, express your love to your fellow man. Begin to live your life in a way that demonstrates that you love other people. Now, friend, the way you do that is not going out and marching up and down the, the roads with other people. If you need to be involved in a peaceful demonstration, then you, you know, you're, you're going to have to decide that in your, yourself. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. You and I come in contact with people every day. People of every color, people of all kinds of nationalities. We come in contact with people every single day that we can love them the way Jesus loves them, the way He told us to love one another, and the way we can love each other, not only in the family of God here in Elizabeth Chapel, but around the world. Believers 
from all races and nationalities of life, the Bible says in Revelation, are going to be a part of this holy group in heaven with the Lord. But now you've got to be saved to be there, my friend. And the love of God's got to be in your heart. But pass that love of God on and pass it around to other people. We're going to pray in just a moment and thank you for joining us tonight. Now remember, next Sunday night at 7, we'll be in part 2 of this series, America at Risk. We're going to be looking next Wednesday night how Scripture predicts history. We saw tonight, Scripture interprets it. Next week, predicts. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you for your goodness. Bless us, Lord, as the people of God. Lord, send us out into a dark world to love every person we see, every person we know, every person we come in contact with, to love everybody, Father, with the love that Jesus has implanted in our heart because our old heart has been changed, we've been born again, and we can love the way God loves others thank you Father and thank you for our nation that was founded on Christian principles and ideologies. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us tonight.